What an honor it is to get to share and to teach with you guys. I was uh, uh, along with Brent and Janet and a couple of others at the campus over in Jersey Village this morning, and they had their brunch like we had last week. So I am fat and happy. <laughs> um, it is a, a joy note to get to, to be here. I, I love getting a chance to, to share with you what we've been doing if you're visiting this class is we've been looking at devotionals and teachings from the life of Jesus. Those devotionals and teachings have been by and large devotionals with some teaching mixed in, but today we're going to go a little bit further down the pike. Let me change this one second if you will allow me. Thank you. I want to look at some passages where Jesus did some teaching, specifically about the Holy Spirit. So two weeks ago, before we had the brunch, we had an opportunity to listen and interview with Fred Sanders, who is a, an author and theologian and academic dealing with matters of the Trinity. And I thought from Fred talking about matters of the Trinity, we might continue in that vein today, but look at what the Master Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do. Now, Jesus teaches through his whole life, through all of the different stories we've got, but we really want to hone in our focus on a constant set of teaching that Jesus did in one setting, where more than in any other place, he taught about the Holy Spirit. And that we find, uh, in a sense, he wrote that chapter, uh, there we go, he wrote that chapter in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. Now, of course, Jesus didn't write it. He's saying it. But that's where we read it written. So if we wanted Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit, a great core place to go is in those passages. And I want to look through those three chapters that is teachings with you about the Holy Spirit. And that's what the class will be about this morning. But as we do it, we're going to do it with two different focuses. We'll focus... Well, three focuses in a sense. We'll focus on Jesus' teaching, but then I want to look time-wise at the future to see within the context of Scripture how the teaching of Jesus was borne out. I also want to look at older passages to see if the teachings of Jesus illustrate certain actions of the Holy Spirit that we read about before Jesus did the teaching. So we're going to look at his teaching, and then we're going to look at the things that are before the teaching, as well as the things that are after the teaching. Does that make sense to you? Okay, I was going to do a roadmap. We're taking the roadmap out because I've changed it. Let's get started. Jesus says, John 14, 15 through 17. Here's our first teaching. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay. So Friday morning, Becky and I were in Lubbock, and I had a, a chance to teach a law school class on contracts. Now you may be thinking, that sounds boring. I was thinking the same thing while I was teaching it. And so were the students. Maybe not. I hope not. But one of the keys of contractual law is to read carefully. Because each word makes a difference. Each verb tense makes a difference. You better be really careful when you sign a contract 
Because what it says is going to, in all probability, be binding on you. So with that frame of mind, I approach my reading of the Bible. I want to be careful and deliberate and read slowly because I want to understand what's being said all the way down to the verb tenses. If this sounds boring to you, sorry. Let's do it together. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then look at this bizarro sentence that continues. And, kaigo in the Greek, kago, and I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. He will give you. Future tense. So if you will, future tense, keep my commandments, I will, future tense, ask the Father, and he will, future tense, give you another helper. Somehow this, give the other helper, uh, spoiler alert, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, interesting side note we don't have time for, but the Muslims misunderstood this. Muhammad misunderstood this, and he didn't read his Greek carefully enough, and they thought it's translated another prophet, but it's not, this, this helper. Side note. Another helper, parakletos in the Greek, another one called alongside to help you. Another one in addition to Jesus. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus identifies this, the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him. You don't see the Spirit. And doesn't know him. It's not intimate with the Spirit. You know him. That's present tense. You know him. Jesus is talking to his apostles. You know the Holy Spirit. Right here, right now, you know him. You don't see him, but you know him. Because he dwells, right now, dwells with you. But he will, future tense, be in you. Now he's with you. He will be in you. How was the Holy Spirit with the apostles? Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells Jesus. He's with them right then. But there was going to come a time if they would do what he said, if they would follow his instructions... He's going to ask the Father, and the Father's going to give them the other helper who won't just be with them, but will be in them. That's the promise. You got it? That's the teaching here. The teaching is that the Holy Spirit's going to be coming, and it's going to be tied to keeping Jesus' instructions. And the Father will be sending the Holy Spirit to indwell the apostles, the believers. Did it happen? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And finally, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So we go... Acts 1, 4 through 5 is where we start. Acts 1, 4 through 5. Automatic focus. Zoom, 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 a zoom. Zoom, a zoom, a zoom, a zoom. Make it a little lighter. All right. Can you all read that Okay. Okay, verses 4 through 5. While Jesus is staying with them, he ordered them, 
the apostles, don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Keep my instructions, he told them. The Holy Spirit will be sent to you and will be in you. Not just with you in the form of Jesus. So what's his instruction? Don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait until the Spirit comes. He's instructing them specifically what they need to do. And loving him, they keep his commandments and do what he says. And they wait for that promise that he told them he would be sending to them that they would be baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. So, they come together, they're asking him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking at this point in time that what Jesus is about is making Israel a great nation. They still don't understand the kingdom of God is greater than just Israel. The kingdom of God spans eternity. It goes backwards, it goes forwards. The kingdom of God isn't a genetic people group. The kingdom of God are those who are called into unity and harmony with him through the grace, the cross of his son, and the forgiveness of sins. So they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They're not really grasping that. He said to them, you don't need to know the times. You don't need to know the seasons that the Father's fixed. But you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit's come on you and you're going to be my witnesses, this isn't just about Israel. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then as he said these things, they're looking on. He's lifted up and a cloud takes them out of their sight. Then two men stand by in white robes as they're gazing into heaven and said, what are you doing standing there looking into heaven? This Jesus who's taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. Now, what do they need to do at this point? They need to follow his commandments. They need to stay in Jerusalem. And they do. They return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Sabbath day journey means it's not a far walk. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is right across the little valley there. It's right there. When they had entered, they're in Jerusalem. They're following his instructions, his commandments. They went to the upper room. They're staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, all of them. And they're staying together. Now, in the process of this, they stay there for a number of days. They vote in a new apostle of sorts to take the place of Judas so that there'll be 12. And over time, as they're still there, something happens. The day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place. They had kept the instructions of the Lord. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divi- and divided tongues of f- as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, keep my commandments. I'm specific about this. Stay in Jerusalem. Until the Holy Spirit comes that I've promised you the Father's going to send. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to send him. And the Holy Spirit that's been with you will be in you. And he was. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a direct fulfillment of the very clear prophetic word that Jesus gave to them. So if we go back to the PowerPoint. Do you see how after the teaching 
we see exactly what Jesus had said. Tied to keeping his instructions, staying in Jerusalem, doing what he said, the Father sends the Spirit to indwell them, to be within them. It happened exactly the way Jesus said it would. You say, well, that must have been the same guy writing it. No, John wrote that gospel we're reading from. Luke wrote the history that we're reading from. Luke wrote the history before John's gospel had been written. It's hand in glove, the way it fits. So, let's uh, continue. Jesus also says about the Holy Spirit, In that day, that day where the Holy Spirit indwells you, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. You tracking with me? By the way, when Jesus is explaining this to his apostles, they don't even remotely understand that stuff. I mean, heavens, after the resurrection, they're still asking Jesus, is this all about making Israel the physical kingdom it needs to be? They still don't understand the spiritual dimension. Paul would explain to the Corinthians that spiritual things are understood by the Spirit. They didn't have the Spirit. They didn't understand these spiritual things. But Jesus told them in that day, the day that the Holy Spirit is sent, you will know that I'm in my Father. You'll know that you're in me and you'll know that I'm in you. So let's look at it. They will understand Jesus... The Father and us. So we saw the Holy Spirit arriving. Look at Acts 2, 22 and following. The Holy Spirit arrives in Acts chapter 2. They're all together in one place. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues. And Peter stands up. And he preaches a sermon. Let's get it up there. Verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the crowd of thousands of people that were listening and, and stunned at what was happening. And all of a sudden, this Peter, who before didn't really understand anything that was going on, who was part of the crew asking, uh, is this when you're going to set up your physical kingdom of Israel? Once the Holy Spirit has arrived, understands things brand new. Peter says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my word. These people aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. That in the last days... It shall be, God declares, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him in your midst. This Jesus, according to a definite plan that God knew and planned ahead of time, you killed. You crucified him and you killed him as lawless men. And God's raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because he couldn't be held by it. He's, he's explaining it. Peter's got it. Peter's got the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden he's understanding that Jesus was here doing the work of God, that it had been planned ahead of time, that David is talking of Jesus when David said, I saw the Lord before me, he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken, you won't abandon my soul to Hades, you won't let your Holy One see corruption, you've made known the paths of life. That it's the Lord saying to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
Peter understands, Peter follows. He understands who Jesus was. He understands the Father. And he understands us. Jesus did it for us. And I I can't emphasize enough that they did not understand this even after walking with Jesus for three years until the Holy Spirit came. If we go back and we look before this very thing that Jesus says, if you look at John 14 before Jesus explains the Holy Spirit's going to do this, this is a passage. This is the start of that dialogue, that teaching of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place, I'll come again. I'll take you. Look at Thomas. Bless his heart. Thomas says, Oh, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. Uh, How can we know the way? He's clueless. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The very things that Peter can explain once the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't have it yet. I'm the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you'd know my Father. You'd know that he's in me and I'm in him. From now on, you do know him. You've seen him because you've seen me. And then Philip, bless him. His clueless heart says, uh, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still have no clue, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? They don't get it. And yet this is the very chapter where Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and then you'll get it. Okay? You with me? Let's keep going because Jesus has more to teach us here. Then Jesus says this, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, this is an important passage for a number of reasons. But if I'm the apostles, it's like extremely important. Because I got to tell you, I'd have had my iPhone out. And I'd have been like, okay, i got to remember this. He's sending the Holy Spirit. I've got to follow his instructions. Uh, uh, Note to self. uh, Make sure that I remember. You know, I, I need to know. Maybe I don't have my iPhone. Maybe I'm doing notepad. Or maybe I'm just going to commit it to memory. You ever have one of those situations where somebody gives you a phone number? And you don't have an ability to write it down. And it just sounds like it should work at first. Uh, 713-555-1497. 713-555-1497. 713-555-1497. And then you put down your phone. You start dialing. Uh, someone, was it 514 <laughs> Hut. Oh, uh, I got no shot. That's the way my memory works. But Jesus is real clear. He puts some at ease. He says, don't, don't fret. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father is going to send, is going to teach you everything you need to know. He's going to bring to your remembrance these things I've said to you. You're going to know what you need to know. And you're going to, and, and not, not like a data dump. It's not like where it's automatically, you know, everything you need to know. But he's going to teach you. You're going to know it when you need to know it. He's going to remind you. This, by the way, is why the, well, let's look at it this way. Does this happen 
Do we see this in Scripture? Well, yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke did some investigation. He wasn't one of the three. Mark's writing Peter's gospel. And John. The reason we have the gospels, the stories of Jesus, is because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminded them. He taught them. They were able to either write or teach such that others wrote what Jesus did. This is one of the reasons the church says that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit is responsible for us having them. With me? Let's keep going. Jesus then says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit will bear witness about Jesus along with the apostles. This is a tremendous thing. Jesus is teaching that the Holy Spirit will bear witness to him with the apostles. Does it happen? Well, we were just reading it in Acts 2. We just didn't go so far. But we can continue in Acts 2. And see, it's exactly what happens. Peter is standing up. And Peter is explaining to them who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And we got to this point down in verse 36 where Peter ends his sermon by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. All the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, Messiah. He is both Lord and Adonai, and Messiah. This Yeshua, Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter's got it. Peter's been taught by the Holy Spirit. He's delivering the message. And look what the Holy Spirit does. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit bore witness to Jesus through the apostles. Exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. The work of the Holy Spirit is exactly what Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit would be. It's not only there. If we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment, you can look beforehand and watch what the Holy Spirit was doing. Was the Holy Spirit bearing witness to Jesus? Look at Matthew three sixteen and 17. Matthew 3... Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit's been bearing witness to Jesus from the beginning. Jesus says after there will come a point where he'll be doing it through the apostles. The Holy Spirit will indwell them. And he will bear witness to Jesus through them. Now that's going to happen. But the witness that he bears to Jesus isn't simply, oh Jesus... Uh, 
uh, turn water into wine. Now the witness he's bearing to Jesus, those miracles and things are important because they help people understand the faith that we have and why it's valid and, and some other things pertinent to the, the prophetic promises of the Old Testament about Jesus and what he would do when he came. Those are important parts of bearing testimony to him. But the thrust of the Holy Spirit here is that Jesus is the Messiah who will die for the sins of the people. That means that Jesus has to leave for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus has to die for the people. And so if we continue with John and we go to John 16, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus still in the same dialogue. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This morning... At the Jersey Village campus, I told you we had the brunch. And so we did the Q&A. And I got a great note. It meant a lot to me from an agnostic who was there. And the note, the question was as follows, as Brent read it. The question was, we give credit to God for... And, and the, the question says, I'm an agnostic... But I hear Christians give credit to God for good things that happen. Are they willing to give credit to God for bad things that happen? Now that is one of the most challenging questions for many people in their faith walk or lack thereof. But I love the question. It shows the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit. The mere question itself shows a conviction about sin and righteousness and judgment. The mere question itself, because that question says, do we give credit to God for bad things. Well, that there even is such an idea of good and bad is an understanding of sin. Oh, sin sounds theological. Take the theology out of it. Use the Greek word instead of our English word sin. Hamartia means to miss the mark. In other words, it's not good, it's bad. And the Holy Spirit will convict people of the fact that there is things that there are things in this world that are not good, that aren't perfect. There's misery, there's unfairness, things that are not righteous. That word righteous, DK is the root in the Greek, it means uh, 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 just, consistent. There are things that aren't fair. I lost my brother-in-law when he was 40 years old to a brain tumor. He had three children under the age of five or six. Alec was the oldest. I think he was about five at the time. That's not fair. That's not good. But it's the Holy Spirit at work that even lets us use those words. That convicts us that there is such a thing as sin and righteousness and fairness and justice and judgment. So this is the Holy Spirit at work. Our question becomes how do we respond to the Holy Spirit? Do we respond with, Lord, have mercy? 
Do we respond with, Lord, here's bad stuff. Put me in to play. Let me help try and do something about that bad stuff. Use me, because I know you don't like the bad stuff. Use me to help stop the bad stuff. Do we pray that? Or do we just listen to the Holy Spirit and just go... That is, by the way, a technical definition of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit niggling at your heart, moving you in conviction, and you just thumbing your nose at it. At Him. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Did it happen? Does it happen today? Look at the scripture's teaching. Acts 2.37 we'll look at. That's the easiest place because it's in the flow of what we're doing. So in Acts chapter 2, the people hear it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit was at work in them, doing exactly what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. And they said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's niggling at your heart. But you want to live in the power of the Spirit. You want the Spirit to confirm to you. Then respond in faith to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, that helper is a promise that comes to you and to your children and for all who are far off. Do you see that? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you know who these people are? That is you and me. We're far off. Some of you are far out. But... <laughs> We're far off. We're almost 2,000 years later. We're 8,000 miles away. Different cultures. Different genes. But the promise is ours too. When we begin to sense that there is sin and righteousness and judgment... That is the time for us to respond and say, well, what should we do? And the answer is clear. You repent. That means you turn around from where you're headed and you go the other direction and you put your faith in Jesus. You live it out. God gives us a beautiful image of a, 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 an act that, that's so representative of, of a new life in baptism. For forgiveness of sins. By the way, it's not the magic of the baptism that forgives your sins. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that forgives your sins. The baptism's what you're doing to, to affiliate yourself and show that. But it's the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ. The grace of God that forgives us through our faith alone. None of us earn it in any way, shape, form, or fashion. That's what's being said here. And that's what the call is. It's to respond to the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't through. Go back to John 16. He says, I still have many things to say to you. But you're already on system overload. You can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all the truth. The Greek word for guide there means to aid or to assist. It's, it's 
it's um, it's the, it's it's uh, the idea of of guiding. Um, a dear friend of mine in days gone by, I don't see him much anymore. But uh, Bob Ayala uh, was my first friend that I ever had who was blind and who who didn't have an ability to see. And so when he and I would go out and do stuff together, he had to teach me how to guide him. That there's part of my elbow of a certain side of my body that he is, you know, I think is he's going to be on this elbow and, and hold on to this elbow. And then I walk with him and he knows that when we walk and he can sense me walking and which way to go and I could guide him using my eyes for him as well as myself. By the way, spiritually, he was my eyes in many ways. And he would guide me in areas where I was spiritually blinded and I needed his insight, pun intended. So that's the the word here. The word here is someone who's going to assist you in the way you're going. When the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide those apostles. He's going to guide us into truth. Now, I could choose not to follow him, I guess. But that's where he's leading me. That's where he's leading you. That's where he's leading the apostles. He will guide you into truth. He's not going to speak on his own authority. He's going to say the message of God. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. Did the Holy Spirit do this? Does the Holy Spirit do this? Is that teaching that he'll guide the apostles into truth borne out by Scripture? Absolutely. Look at Acts chapter 15, for example. In Acts chapter 15, the church is having a huge debate in Jerusalem. They call it the, uh, I say they, yeah, they, as in the people who have put together this Bible translation. They call it, the, and many scholars do, the Jerusalem Council. Here's the debate. Paul's been out there doing mission work. You got all these Gentiles now. The Goyim are entering into faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, Hamashiach. So the, the, the church, the, the apostles, which the church is Jewish at this point. The church is sitting there perplexed and they're thinking, do you have to become Jewish to become a Christian. So they call a big conference over it. The apostles are there. The elders of the church are there. Paul and Barnabas come in. And they all start debating. And they debate the law of Moses. Look. You say, well, debate. That sounds harsh. No, that's what they did. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he, and Peter says what he believes. They pray about it intensely. So they're going back and forth, back and forth. And finally they make a decision. You don't have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. And they decide instead that they'll write their letter and they'll explain this to the, to the people out in, in the world. And so they do. So here it is in verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles. It seemed good. Isn't that interesting language? To the apostles and the elders. With the whole church. To send men from among them and send them to Antioch. With Paul and Barnabas. So they send these people. It seemed good to them to do it. And they sent them with the following letter. Look at what the letter said. The brothers. Both the apostles and the elders. To the brothers who are of the Gentiles. In Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. 
Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, they've unsettled your minds, even though they weren't doing it from any instructions we gave them. It seemed good to us. It seemed good. Same thing. Seemed good to them to send the letter with Paul and them. It, in the letter, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So, these are men who've risked their lives. We've therefore sent you Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things, whoops, by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these. It has seemed good. Seemed good to us? Seemed good to us. What audacity to say it seemed good to us and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Audacious? No. That's the promise of Jesus. Jesus' promise was that the Holy Spirit would guide them, not dictate, guide them into truth there. And he did. And they understood they had been guided by the Holy Spirit when they debated, when they reasoned, when they searched the scriptures, when they prayed. And they came to a conclusion together. They were confident that that was the Holy Spirit doing the very thing that God said the Holy Spirit would do. We're running out of time. I don't have time to read to you Hebrews 3, 7 and 4, 7. But if I did you would see that the Holy Spirit was doing the same thing before Jesus. Because this is where the writer of Hebrews quotes a passage from the Psalms. And in one time he quotes it, he says, as David said. And then another time he quotes it, he says, as the Holy Spirit said. Because the Holy Spirit was teaching and guiding David into truth about Jesus. Then it ends with our last one. He will glorify me. He will take he, the Holy Spirit, what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus, the truth, the Messiah, the hope, the glory, the faith, the love. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He does that. And if we had time, you can go back and look at Acts 3, 1 through 9. That's where Peter and John are going to the temple. And they see a lame man. And he's begging. And they said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. They glorify Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit as they healed the lame. Jesus is getting the glory. If you went back in time, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary has Jesus within her womb. Mary comes into the presence and the Spirit fills Elizabeth and causes John the Baptist in the womb to start leaping. And Elizabeth to prophesy about the great child that Mary is carrying. The Spirit was bearing witness to Jesus and glorifying Jesus even before he was born. So I've gone over by a minute. Give me one more minute to give you points for home, please. Your lessons to go. In the Holy Spirit, let's see Jesus. Let's learn of Jesus. Let's speak of Jesus. Let's glorify Jesus because he is our hope. When you've got that niggling of the Holy Spirit, it's not indigestion. If it's conviction of sin. This is God calling you into a relationship with Jesus or deeper into that relationship. It's not a magic relationship where all of a sudden you've got the data dump in your head. It's one where you'll be convicted in the Spirit when you give your life to Jesus. And those of us who've given our lives to Jesus, it's one where we learn to walk in His Spirit and let Him teach us and guide us, rely upon His teachings, pray about things, seek His will, and be confident that He'll guide us into truth. And in that way, we will walk in the teachings of Jesus on the Holy Spirit. Okay? Next Sunday, I want to look at how Jesus dealt with interruptions. 
I've already started working on the, the lessons. I think you'll enjoy them. So I, I hope you will come next Sunday and let me interrupt your day with some teachings about how Jesus dealt with interruptions. Meanwhile, I want to pray a blessing of the Holy Spirit over you. Father, may your Holy Spirit tickle, prompt all of us, prick our hearts, our minds to come into a devoted walk with you. Father, anybody who listens to this message, who's sensing your spirit, but hadn't given their lives to you in a committed faith through the blood of Jesus, I ask you to move their hearts to pray right now. A prayer of simply, Father, I repent of my sins and I seek your forgiveness in Jesus and the indwelling spirit. And Father, for those of us who have already made that commitment to you and who get to walk in the fullness of your love expressed through the indwelling spirit in our hearts, would you sensitize us to the voice of the spirit, the guiding of the spirit, the truth of the spirit? May we grow so that Jesus is what we think about, what motivates us, what instructs us, what gives us courage, what gives us hope, what gives us confidence, what comforts our bereavement, what, what we move toward, Father. Through whom we pray the amen. Amen. See you guys next Sunday.